0: Oh, the grace of Jesus! Praise His name. Well, we are in the Book of Revelation, and we're on the third message that uh, that we're preaching. You could preach many others, and and I think the Book of Revelation is is, is something that that people have have heard about, maybe even uh, looked into or, or read. But as I think we've said, it's it's not a book that you typically hear preached. Um, and, um, and and I guess in one sense I understand that because there's a massive amount of work that goes into rightly, rightly dividing. it. in another sense I, I don't understand that because it's the, it is the word of God and all of God's word is given to his people for our blessing even as the book of Revelation begins. Um, I guess some people study Revelation for different reasons. Some people are curious about the future. Uh, if you do a series on Revelation, you will find that people will come just out of curiosity. And sometimes they stay and the Lord converts them and sometimes they, they get bored and, and, and leave. Uh, some people are attracted to, uh, to prophecy and the promise of getting to, to see things that, that are, that are yet, yet to come. And others are really intrigued by the mystery. We read... Daniel chapter seven this morning and it's talking about beasts with 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 horns and and eyes and and lions and bears and and I, I hear that and and frankly I don't automatically think of vision I think something to hunt but anyway that's a whole other issue but it, there's that people like the mystery that they see and and if you would do a search on books written about Revelation you would understand what I mean I mean. There are hundreds of them, many claiming secret insights into into the mysteries of the of the letter. Prophetic literature, like Revelation, is commonly used for those claims because people can hijack the symbolism and give a deeper meaning or their own meaning. And 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 who are you to argue with with that with that symbolism? And some people, the thought of Secret codes and mysteries found in, in imagery is just is just too tempting to to resist I mean who hasn't run across the guy who you see in the set headlines who sees jesus in his cheetos this is this is a a a, a true situation now i that doesn't look anything like jesus to me not that i've i've ever i've ever seen him or 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 maybe you've heard of the of the lady that that found the Virgin Mary in her morning toast, and she is she's famous. She actually even has a certificate, I think, that has something to do with, with the Catholic Church that that she keeps it in, in this box. There's actually a site that's called Twenty Two People Who Found God in Their Food. Unfortunately. The thought of being able to find deeper meaning gives people an outlet to see what they want to see. And that's extremely dangerous whenever you're dealing with with the Word of God. When you look for a deeper meaning or you follow some mystical prompting and you don't don't take it in its context as God intended it, 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 when you're dealing with the Word of God, when you do that, when you find a deeper meaning... You become the authority and not the Bible. And that, that's not just dangerous, that's deadly. Deadly for you and deadly for other people. I can remember one of my seminary professors telling a class full of students when we were talking about, about deeper meaning. He just said, how do you know it was God? How do you know it wasn't bad pizza or, or indigestion or, or something else? Even when we, we approach books like Revelation and, and like the passage in Dan, Daniel... The Bible is revelation. It doesn't contain revelation. That's the difference between people who believe in the inspiration of Scripture and liberals. It, people who believe in the inspiration of Scripture say the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is the revelation of God. The liberals will say, well, the revelation is found in the Bible. You can find God in the words. No, the words are the very words down to the jot and the tittle. The verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture, all of the Bible, down to the very grammar. That is the revelation of, of God. And the purpose of the Bible is to make things clear, not obscure them. And that includes the book of the Revelation. God provided us the book of Revelation to make things clear, not to obscure them. And Revelation is, is no different. God says His Word is a, is a, is a light and a lamp. He doesn't hide his truth in in a secret painting like, where's Waldo? Or the book of Revelation is not like an inkblot test where you you go to these and you try to figure out what it is. You can understand the book of Revelation. You can understand the visions that that are there if you understand how how to approach them. And as we're going to see today, even when God gives vision, a vision to a biblical writer and uses symbolism to communicate, He's always clear and He always explains the purpose of revealing the truth. In fact, even as we've heard in the first two messages, we're encouraged to study the book of Revelation because it brings blessing. You don't find any blessing in, in something that's, that's obfuscated or obscured and you can't understand what, what, what it says. One of those blessings that we're going to see in this vision today is a reminder from Jesus that we, as His church, are not alone in the world. He is in the midst of His churches. He's in the midst of His churches in France this very evening. He's in the midst of of Timberlake Baptist Church this this morning. And the end is unfolding exactly as, as He intended, meaning that He is in control. Now, I don't mean by that that God wishes those type of terrorist events to take place. But God is God, and nothing takes Him by surprise. So if you're not there, open the book of Revelation to the first chapter. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 20. And this is the vision of the Son of Man who is present among His churches. And this vision that we're going to read initiates the seven letters where Jesus communicates the condition and and the cure... For each of these seven churches, and the key to the symbolism, the key to symbolism or, or a vision is not to focus on on all the little details, but what it's revealing about Jesus and 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 His plan. So let's read, beginning in verse nine, the verse twenty. It says, "I John, both your brother and companion in companion in tribulation and the kingdom and patience." in Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. He had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. These things right, which you have seen, the things which are, things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Here's a vision. And God makes history's hidden realities visible through the symbolism here. And we don't get caught up of whether it's Russia or a nuclear bomb. The point is you focus on the spiritual reality that the Lord is, is unveiling. And, and Revelation, God unveils an unseen spiritual war that the church is engaged in. And Jesus is getting ready to, to communicate some things to, to His church. And the church in Asia was very aware of a war that they were engaged in, this spiritual war. Just like we are today. And Revelation reminds them that while this war is taking place and the church is in the midst of that war, their king has already won the victory. Not just a a preliminary victory, but the victory. And And he writes to them here to strengthen the church in the fight. And one of the things that he says is that he's in the midst of the church. He holds everything in its place until he comes in judgment and he carries the church in the palm of his hand. And the outline is is really very simple. There's the this is the glorious vision of the exalted Son. And you can say that in a number of ways. But it's a vision of Jesus Christ. And and the first thing that he shows us is the setting. There's the setting for the vision. He he starts in verse one, I John, and you find out that John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. That's the setting. And then there's the details of the vision. He hears a voice and he sees a vision. And he describes that vision in verses 12 through, through 16. And then at the very end, in verses 17 through 20, you have the commission that's from the vision. So you have the setting for the vision, John on the Isle of Patmos. You have the details of the vision. He hears the voice and sees the vision of Christ. And then you have the commission that comes from the vision. Write, John, write these things and write them to these seven seven churches that's the outline of of this of this passage let's look at the setting for the vision the vision begins with a setting look at verse 9 i john both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience and all of that in jesus christ john identifies himself as a brother and a fellow partaker a fellow companion and, and he says that he's a brother and fellow partaker of three things. Tribulation, kingdom, and patience. And all three of those he's going through in Jesus Christ. He's going through tribulation in Jesus Christ. He's in the kingdom because of Jesus Christ. And he is enduring. Hupamane. He's bearing up under his circumstances. And he's doing that in Jesus Christ. And this is a very humble description it's a very humble description. John doesn't describe himself as John, the great diviner of mysteries, the seer of all visions. John describes himself as a brother and fellow sharer. He's not above where these churches are at. He's not above you as, as God uses him to write and pen the letter of Revelation even to us. He's a partner. He's a partner. He's a fellow sharer. John is a Christian just like you're a Christian. John is a brother just like you're a brother or a sister. The apostles and those that God chose to write Scripture are not super people. They're human beings just like you. They had the Holy Spirit in them just like you. And God uses them just like He he uses you. And He shares with them. He says, I'm a fellow sharer. That's what that word means. And he shares tribulation with them. And he shares a common salvation with them. The coming kingdom. And, and, and he shares in their perseverance. They're being persecuted. He's being persecuted. How's he being persecuted? What's his tribulation? Look at what he says. And I was on the aisle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. But John did nothing wrong except he was a faithful witness of Jesus Christ. And if you haven't gotten in trouble yet for being a faithful witness of Jesus Christ, there's probably a good possibility that you're not being a very strong witness. Now, I don't mean you're going to be exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But if in your workplace, if in your school, wherever it is, in your family, if your witness is not strong enough that it causes issues, it, that it causes divisions, it causes problems, then your witness is probably not very very clear. Now, I, I'm not trying to be harsh with you. But what I'm saying is that there are two responses that human beings have to Jesus Christ. They're either drawn to Jesus or they're repelled by Jesus based upon where they stand with Jesus. And if Jesus is in you, it's like the little girl said, if, if, if Jesus is in me, he ought to be sticking out somewhere. And he ought to be sticking out somewhere. And, and you will find people are either drawn to you or they're repelled by you if there is a strong witness of Jesus Christ, have you ever been around somebody that's another believer and you don't even know a lot about them and you're just drawn to them? I mean, you just, there's, this, there's this, I mean, I, I want to be like them. I want to emulate them. It's, it's, not that, it's not them that you're drawn to, it's Christ in them. And when you were an unbeliever and you had a real deal Christian that was around you, that was salty that lived for the cause of Christ, did you want to get real snugly close with them? When you're an unbeliever, you don't want to come to church, you don't want to sit under strong preaching, you want to go someplace where where you're going to feel good. You're either drawn to Jesus or repelled, and, and, and here is John, he's exiled, that's his tribulation to the Isle of Patmos, and you can do plenty of studies about the Isle of Patmos, I don't have time to go into it, but... The kingdom here is the sphere of salvation. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony. That's the tribulation he's going. And he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. There is the the kingdom. The kingdom is the sphere of salvation that John is in and that you're in. He's a brother. And he was enduring and waiting like them for the coming of, of Christ. Look at John's experience here, because now he begins to describe his, his circumstances. Tribulation, spirit of the Lord's day, and enduring. And now he describes his experience. He says, I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying... John says he's been in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now imagine if you were John and you were exiled to to an island that was sparsely inhabited. It was used for for punishment, and you were there. You're out of your element. You're uncomfortable. You don't have a lot of stuff. You don't have a lot of food. You don't have a lot of of comfy shelter and yet it's the Lord's Day, it's the first day of the week, and, and you and you go to pray, you go to worship God, even though there's not other believers around you, you're not gathered in a church like you are this morning, and you're praying, and as you do that, you hear a voice with piercing clarity. I mean, that would be startling in and of itself. You think you're alone, and you hear somebody. Have you ever thought that you were alone in your home, and you realize that somebody is there, you don't know that your family is there, and it and it startles you? Well, this voice had piercing clarity, and he says, this voice tells you to write down what you're about to experience and send it to the seven churches in Asia that you know very well. And when you turn around, you see seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of them, one like the Son of of Man. And you know the book of Ezekiel, and you know the book of Daniel, and what you're seeing is what you have heard the prophets of old describe. And... And then when you look at him, it, it hurts your eyes. It, it's a stunning figure, and and his face is bright like the noonday sun. Have you ever tried to look at the sun as a kid? You, you you do that because you're told not to. You know, kids do what they're told not to, and you look at the sun, and then it blinds you. And you can still see the imprint of the sun. And when you when you when you glanced, you had to you had to turn away. But when you got the glance, you you, you noticed that his eyes were penetrating, even brighter, and they, they blazed like fire and his hair was white as snow and, and, and you, you noticed he had priestly robes on and, and a sash and as you followed those robes all the way down to his feet because his face was so bright, you noticed his, his feet were like polished bronze and the voice was so loud, it was like many waterfalls, it was, it, it was, the roar was deafening. And as you look you you were quickly forced by the brightness to look away and all of your instincts in you without even thinking you just thrust yourself on the ground you 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 fell on your face out of out of terror and an homage and in, in worship if if you can if you can imagine that that's that's what John saw but what i want you to notice is the is the purpose and the priority that that God places on, on the experience. The purpose for John seeing this vision is to establish the authority of his message, not to get wrapped up in the vision. He said he was in the Spirit on the, on the Lord's day, and he hears a voice like a, like a trumpet. His vision was in the Spirit. Clearly, John received a vision that transcended normal human ability. It was something that God supernaturally revealed to him. You don't normally see things like this. If you normally see things like this, then I need to help you get down to Virginia Baptist Hospital, probably. Both Ezekiel and Isaiah, both prophets, significant prophets of God start their ministry with a great vision of the glory of God, don't they? And that was to establish the authority of the message that they're giving. It's similar to the sign gifts that the apostles were given. It wasn't to exalt Paul or so Paul could could sell fancy hankies for a gift of $7.77 for you to sow a seed. The purpose of the sign gifts, was not to exalt Peter or Paul, but to authenticate that their message came from God. And God now appears to John in a similar way. And, and John is being commissioned, his ministry is being commissioned to communicate to the church and foretelling this, this end. And the point that we're to take away from this is the purpose of John seeing this vision in revelation, starting with this vision, is to establish the authority of John's message. We're to see John like we saw Isaiah and like we saw Ezekiel. The Apostle Paul had a similar experience in, in Acts 22 and in Second Corinthians 12. But in every case, a vision, in every case that a vision is, is, is given, it's rare. And pay attention, God is the one who chooses the person and the circumstance, not the other way around. You don't seek visions. The vision seeks you. (laughs) And it's very abnormal. Both John and Paul, the rest of the time, they live normal Christian lives, just like you and I did. I mean, think about it. John, the rest of his time, this is toward the end of, of, of his ministry, John and Paul, even though they saw visions, the rest of the time they didn't go around seeking promptings or visions before. They did anything. They, Paul didn't look for a Macedonian call before he went out to witness or before he, he decided to stop at this town or, or that town or, or launching on a new missions trip. The Macedonian call came to him while he was going. The rest of the time he prayed and then went wherever wisdom and providence allowed just as he was commissioned to do. John wrote a gospel and three letters before the book of Revelation, and nowhere does he describe anything like this. This vision is not normative. It's not something to seek. It's The purpose is to establish his authority. And God is saying here in Revelation that John gets to see something dramatic, and he's told to write what... What, what he sees. And the second thing I want you to notice is the, the priority in this vision is placed on what's written, not what is seen. Look at what he says here. He hears a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, in verse 11, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the, to the seven Churches. Look at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. God tells John to write what you see, not see what you want in the writings. Are you listening? You did not see God and you did not hear God but from the Bible, period. Under no circumstance. You didn't see a vision from God, and you didn't hear the voice of God apart from the Bible. Visions and voices are not normative, and they're not for today. The Bible is complete. That is the Word of God. The written Word is where God speaks, and that's the emphasis that you find The written word is where God speaks to his people because Christ's authority is found in his voice. It was a, it was a loud voice. And it was a voice like a, like a trumpet. In our day, there's a lot of talk about seeing God or hearing God, and the only place that you do that, according to scripture, is in the Bible. Revelation comes from God, not the book of Revelation. Revelation comes from God and God has determined His revelation is written, not observed in fanciful experiences. Whether you're in America, or whether you are in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, even here, God has determined an apostle would receive a vision. It's controlled, it's clear, and it's commissioned. I want you to notice... If you read this, and you may not have time to do it right now, go back and read it. John is completely coherent, and he's completely in his right mind, even though he's on the Spirit in the Lord's day, even though he sees something enabled by the Holy Spirit of God that is abnormal. He's completely coherent, and he's in his right mind. John is not pictured here of rolling on the floor or foaming at the mouth or his eyes rolled back in his head. He's not. He's clear. Christ gives him words to write. Write these words. Communicated in language, in context, in time. You'll see that when we get into the, into the seven letters. These are specific letters that diagnose the problems in the church, establish the cures. There's no mysterious codes or unpredictable jargon. And he's commissioned. John is an apostle. He's tested and tried. He's chosen by God. And that's what you saw in in the very first message, and you can see it even here. He's on the Isle of Patmos. You and I are none of those things. Well, we may be controlled and clear, but we're not commissioned. And besides that, the canon is closed, which brings us to what John is to to write. There's the details of the vision. Verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, The voice he hears, he says, is like a trumpet. What does a trumpet sound like? Have you ever listened to a band? There's certain instruments that just rise above the others. They're just clear. I mean, some blend in. And I guess if you have a musical ear, unlike I do, you could probably pick them out. I've heard people go, oh, there's the tenor, there's the alto, there's the whatever, I have no idea. The best I know is, is tenor is high and bass is low. And I don't know how to read music or notes. But when I'm listening to a marching band or listening to others, you can hear a trumpet, can't you? It's very clear. There's no possibility of misunderstanding which, which, which instrument it is. And the voice is like a trumpet. It's clear. It's unmistakable. It doesn't mean when it says his voice is like a trumpet that it was a literal trumpet sounds enunciating the words. If you heard those, you'll hear them if you haven't. Christmas is coming. You've heard the barking dogs do jingle bells and stuff like that. Okay? The words that he hears is not like the trumpet. It's not a trumpet that sounds like the barking dogs doing jingle bells. It's voice like a trumpet. It's unmistakable. It's clear. It's piercing. And a trumpet is used for that purpose. And the only way John can describe the, the clarity of what he hears, the piercing nature of the voice, is to say it was like a trumpet. And trumpets were used to announce things in the Bible. And Jesus is announcing some things to, to, to John. The voice that he hears is the authority of Christ, God speaks. God speaks the world into existence. God speaks to his people. God says, hear, O Israel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the the word of Christ. You're told to preach the word. You're to announce the word. God is a verbal God. And John is told to write what is the book of the Revelation. Now, I want you to notice the other emphasis, the details of the vision. There's the location. He says, verse 12, when I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, he doesn't see the voice that he's looking for. The first thing he sees is seven golden lampstands, but look at the location of the voice, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the the Son of Man. The location is the presence of of Christ, The voice emphasizes the authority of Christ. The location communicates the presence of Christ. Where is Christ in this vision? He is pictured like one like the Son of Man. You're going to see the person of Christ in a minute. But the first thing that Jesus wants us to understand and the churches to understand is John's message is authentic. It's like the prophets of old. He sees this vision of the glory of Christ. He hears the authority of God that is in his voice And then where is God? God is in the middle of His churches. His presence is in the midst of the seven churches under persecution. Christ this morning is in the midst of the churches in Paris. He's in the midst of this church this morning, and He's in the middle of your life. God is not aloof. He's not up there, out there, in heaven, unconcerned about what's going on in your life. He's right in the middle of it. He gets down in the muck and the mire of our sin and our difficulties and our persecutions. And that's exactly where you find Christ. And John turns and he sees these, these lampstands. He sees this vision that reveals the, the person of, of Christ. Look, if you would... One like the Son of Man in verse 13, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded his chest in golden van, his head and his hair and his eyes. And The vision reveals the person of Christ. Who is this vision? Where is the vision? Where is this person? He's in the midst of his church. He's speaking with authority, clarity, the trumpet voice. He's announcing something from God and the vision reveals the person of Christ. Who is this vision? It's God of very God. It's the the Son of Man who is is coming. He's in the midst of the lampstands. Exodus 25. John would have known. You find the lampstands of pure gold. You go back to Exodus. The instructions given for Moses to make the lampstand with seven branches made of of pure gold. But John doesn't just see one with seven branches. Sticks coming up. He sees seven individual lampstands. And the lampstands in Exodus and now in this symbolism here represent light, divine presence in a dark world. And we're later told that they're the seven churches. And a church, a true church, that acts as as God's presence in a specific place Shines the light of His truth into the darkness. You go over to 1 Timothy three fifteen. The church is called the, the pillar and support of truth. Christ is seen in the middle of His churches. And His voice is spoken to His churches. And He is God of very God. He's not abandoned them. That's what He wants them to understand. He's not left them alone. What is one of the last statements Jesus gives to his disciples before ascending? You call it the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And I am with you. And I am with you always. And I am with you even to the end of the age. Do you think that there are people in Paris this morning that are going, God, where are you at? Tempted to think that? Do you think the church is in Revelation under the persecution of the Roman Empire? Are you tempted this morning to think, God, where are you at? Hear the words of Matthew. Lo, I am with you always. And I'll be with you even unto the end. Whatever the end that you're, that you're facing. And Jesus is saying this. I am in the midst. And then you see the vision. There's one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded his, about his chest with a golden band. The one that is speaking is, is none other than God himself. His hair is white. It just represents wisdom. Proverbs sixteen thirty one. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. So all of you that are trying to wash that gray right out of your head, Proverbs 1631 says, Keep it. It's, it shows wisdom, it shows that you've walked with God for a period of time. The vision is described, his eyes are like like blazing fire. It's Daniel ten six Penetrating insight of, of one who sees all now and the future. He's clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about with a, his chest with a golden band. These are robes of a priest. They represent intercession and the sacrificial ministry of Christ. This very morning, God would have you that you, that you sin not, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation. He is the sacrifice and the sacrificer. He voluntarily laid his life down for you. And he's pictured here in priestly robes communicating to his church. His feet were like purified brass, stability, strength. His voice, like many waters, the authority of God, he, he holds the stars in his right hand. He's holding the stars in in complete control it's like what John 10:28 says I give them eternal life and they'll ne- never perish and, and no one will snatch them out of my hand Christ's church is secure but his enemies are not because what he says here in verse 16 I had he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword the sword symbolizes the irresistible power of divine judgment. Same phrase is used in Revelation 2.12. If the church turns apostate, Jesus said, the sword will come out of my mouth against you. Revelation 19.15, the sharp sword coming out of his mouth to, to cut down his enemies. Christ's words will prevail, this picture of the sword. Christ's words will prevail in judgment and he will speak by declaration. He'll be victorious. He'll speak and his enemies will fall. And look at how the vision ends in verse 16. His countenance was like the sun shining in in its brilliance. His vision reaches a high point. And John has seen this vision before. It's not the first time that John has seen this person You can turn there. You can look up on the screen. You can go back to Matthew chapter 17. And it's the passage about the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. It says, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother. And he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Listen, his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Now, look at verse 5. Look at where the emphasis is. And while he was speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them and said, Behold, a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. See a vision of him. So what it says? Listen to his words. Listen to him. It's the voice of God, not the vision. That's the emphasis. Listen to him. Verse 6, And when his disciples heard this, they fell down. They fell face down on the ground, and they were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Fear not. Get up. Do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus. And look at how this whole passage ends. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. You know how this vision in Revelation goes on? Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. i looking at verse 18. I am he who lives, was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He's risen from the dead. And the vision... Is seeming in. The transfiguration of Christ back in Matthew 17 was a foreshadowing of Christ's exaltation after the resurrection. That's why they're not just to, to, to mention of it. This vision of Christ, the Son of Man, is a foreshadowing of Jesus' full glory that will come when he when he returns and he sets up his kingdom that you're going to see in the Book of Revelation. It ends. This vision ends with a reiteration of the authority of his voice and the brightness of his glory. Which leads to the commission. And I'll be fast. There's overwhelming fear, there's overcoming worship, and there's overflowing service. Verse 17 He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. John's first response, what he. To what he hears and what he sees is to fall like a dead man. It's a, it's a standard response when people see God's glory. Daniel said, when he saw the Lord, no strength was left in me. My natural color was turned to death. I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, Daniel 10.8. Isaiah cried out, woe is me, I am ruined. Ezekiel fell on his face. You're going to see when the sixth seal is broken and just a few chapters later, unbelievers will cry out for the rocks in the mountain to hide them from, from God. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That is a far cry from the silly and blasphemous claims that people make today about seeing and hearing the Lord. If you truly saw the Lord or you truly heard from the Lord, this would be the response. It would be terror. The only reaction that a person should have who truly has heard from God is fear. That is, until the Lord points you to grace. Look at verse 17. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. Why? Why does John fall on his face in terror? And why does Jesus put his hand on him and say, do not be afraid? Because of who he is and what he's done. I'm the first and the last. I am. Ego me, the name of the covenant God. I am. I am the one who shows mercy to thousands. I'm the one who forgives iniquity. And I was dead, but I'm alive for evermore. Literally, I became dead, but I am the living one. And I have the keys to death and hell. A key is an authority. He's saying I have authority over death and the afterlife. I have authority over it. You don't have to fear it. Don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell. And I have the keys to life and death. I decide. So you have nothing to fear. You're indestructible until I decide. He was saying that by his death and resurrection, he has control over the danger and death that threaten them. And so John worships. Overcoming worship because of the cause of Christ, the work of Christ. And then that turns into service. Look at verse 19. Right. Right. Write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place afterwards. Record and repeat. There's overflowing service. And he greets the church that we'll see next time. Now John is commissioned by Jesus to tell the vision and the message. And he serves God by doing that. Why? Because back in verse 3, the time is near, and verse 7 Behold, He's already on the way. That's why He's to serve. And our task is the same today. When God's Word comes to us through the Bible, our response is reverential fear to bow and worship because we know that we're no longer an enemy, but we're a friend because of what Jesus has done and that He's risen from the dead, and then we're to serve Him. What makes that possible is that Jesus was, a de- was dead but is alive forevermore. And it's the keys of death and the grave. Did you know that the natural response that a human being, a depraved human being, has to God is fear. But God is not seeking fearers. You know what the Bible says God is seeking? He's seeking Worshippers, and there's a difference there's an aspect of fear to worship you you don't ever get to the point where you don't realize that god is dangerous but you don't fear him as if you're his enemy and the bible says that god is seeking worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in in truth and the only one the only thing that could translate you transfer you from someone who is who, who should be terrified Of the living God to fall into the the hands of the one who is a consuming fire, the only one that can turn you from an enemy to a friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that can happen is for you to place your faith and your trust into what He accomplished on the cross and realize He is the, the I am. He's the one who was dead but is alive forevermore and He's coming again. When's He coming? I don't know. We learned last week he's already on the way. Will he come today? I say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Would you say that? The only way that you would say that, the only way that you would want to face God is if you knew God through Christ and you could say, Jesus, thank you for washing away my sins. Has he washed away your sins? Christian, if he has washed away your sins, are you serving him? Are you serving him? Is your testimony that which, which would cause you to be ostracized, whether it's on the Isle of Patmos or somewhere else? Because Jesus is so real in you that he comes out on other people. Every Christian needs to be under the Word of God. Every Christian needs to be in fellowship with other, other believers. Every Christian needs to be serving in the church. Every Christian needs to be giving, and every Christian needs to be witnessing. Are you doing those things? I hope so. Let me pray for you and with you. As we come to the Lord today, He's in the midst. He's here. He's spoken. What will you do with His words? If you don't know Christ, will you repent and believe? Will, will, will you be humble like John? not exalt yourself? Will you say, I'm nothing, He is everything? Will you repent and believe? Oh, I'd love to pray with you. Someone else would too. So we sing, you come and, and we'll do that. Christian, when you see the Lord like this, when you remember that He's coming again, are, are, you, are you placing yourself under the authority of His Word? Are you doing that with other believers? Are you serving? Are you giving? Are you telling If not, say, Lord, help me. You know which one of those areas God's putting His finger on. And you just need to start doing it. Just repent. Your mind is changed about it from the Word. Now you just do it. Respond in obedience. Hear and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for revelation. We thank you for this vision, Lord, that that you have made clear. And the priority is in your word, and you speak your word to your people. And as you've done that today, now we can respond. I pray, Father, for anyone who's in here that's lost, that they would repent and believe, that they wouldn't meet you in fiery judgment, that they would meet your friendly face in the cross of Christ And I thank You, Lord, that You give us as believers not one, two, three, five, but seven times seventy opportunities to repent and do right again. Help us, Lord, to throw off the past and, and, and say, God, forgive me and walk forward. Help us to do that this morning, even though it's difficult. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.